First of all, thank you very much for coming to speak with us today, Matthew. So if any people that don't know, Mr. Ponsonby is head of UK global banking at BNP Paribas, and he's had a very extensive career. I'm sure we'll go through that throughout the conversation. But, you know, before we get started, why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself? So hi, hi, hi everybody. I am Matthew Ponsonby. Um, I was, I studied at, I, I studied material science and metallurgy at, at Manchester University um, in, in the mid 80s. Um, and I started out as a, a management consultant with what is now Accenture, so we're then called Anderson Consulting. So I did three years at Accenture and um, having gone through sort of my starting piece of the career there, I, I, I was thinking what to do next and common to actually a number of people, uh, I, I decided to, at the time I decided to leave after three years, which was a sort of, it was a, like a post-accountancy qualification exit point that a lot of people sort of did the first bit of training at the, at the management consultancy that moved on. And I went to join a UK bank called Morgan Grenfell, which uh, which was then just being taken over by, by Deutsche Bank. So I spent eight years at Deutsche Bank. Um, I was, um, I took, and then there was a big dispara from, from, from Deutsche Bank at the end of the, at the end of the 90s. And my version is I took a team to Salomon's to start a UK business for Salomon Brothers, which is a fantastic US uh, uh, organization, very interesting bank. Um, that uh, through various mergers became Citigroup. So uh, I was then at City for about 13 years, of which I spent um, five, nearly five years in Japan building a business for a, uh, a Japanese subsidiary called Nikko Citigroup, which is a Japanese equity broking house. Um, and I built an, an MA advisory business for them. So it's a Chan, fantastic place, can thoroughly recommend it. Would really. Um, anybody who has not who, who has an opportunity to spend time in Japan do it's an extraordinary country. Um, then uh, from there I back to the back to London with City and then was asked with a great friend of mine to go to Barclays in Nine Nine to build the advisory business for Barclays in Europe. They had just acquired Lehman's in the US, which had gone into bankruptcy. They didn't acquire the European business and they built we built the European business sort of organically and it was a very exciting time. We hired you know my my friend and I. Like Mark Warren hired 125 MA bankers over a year, over just over a year, um, and 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 about 150 other other advisory bankers. So it was a, it was a really exciting growth period, and I spent nearly nine years at Barclays, um, and then um, first five of which were building, which were exciting. The last three of which was dismantling some of the stuff I built, which is much less interesting. And I went to to I thought really that all the growth projects in banking, European banking were over um, and I thought about retiring um, and he, having sort of decided not to do anything, I was then well, at least by my mother who was and still is working full time in her late eighties, um, gave me a bit of a hard time about stopping. And so I um, was, when I was approached by BNP Paribas to build a, in the words of our CEO, a leading domestic UK bank, Actually, that was quite attractive because at the time, which was 2017, it was what I might call peak Brexit hysteria. And you may not have noticed, but there was at the time a massive amount of uh, talk that London was over as a financial centre. It was all going to migrate to Europe. Uh, so sort of CEO of Goldman Sachs was turning up in Frankfurt saying this is the you know, everyone's moving here. Um, and I sort of I, I had a very firm view, view that that actually was not how it was going to unfold. And being able to join an institution which is sort of counter-cyclical and, and tell a different narrative was very attractive. So 
I've been at BNP Paribas for the last three years, building the UK business and helping to build our European business. And I'm happy to talk a bit about that. But so it's, it, it, I've been in banking for 30 years, um, but I can safely say that, that it's not been one year repeated 30 times. It has been a very, very varied career. And for me, that's one of the real attractions for, for coming into financial services for anybody. And, and, it, and, and, and there's clearly downsides. It, it's, it is hard work. Um, it, it is a, it's a major commitment, but the upsides are considerable and, and not least of which because um, on the first, you get to work with really interesting people. You get to work with really interesting clients and it is very varied. That's great. No, no, that was a really interesting um, introduction and it's great because I'd, I'd be really interested in knowing particularly how, as you've sort of grown throughout the years, you know, as you've moved to these different roles from uh, MD to COO to where you are now, It'd be really nice to hear like how your roles have sort and your responsibilities have changed, you know, uh, to someone like to me, maybe who doesn't understand, hasn't been in the industry and seen it and experienced it myself. What, what did your day-to-day roles look like under sort of each of these different job descriptions, I guess? Yeah. So, so, so uh, there's, there's a core of it. There's the, the thread that runs through. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mergers and acquisitions banker by trade. That's what I learned to do. Um, uh, back in the nineties. And, um, you start off, and a, and a lot of the a lot of, in it, I could talk a bit about because it, it turns into how, how banks are. But a lot of the initial work you do is analytical. So you're you're spending time analysing situations. It's quite it's quite it's quite sort of numbers based. And and there was a phase when banks were tending to hire. When I started, I started with you know uh, someone who studied music, someone who studied history. It was a huge variety of, of background, of, of intellectual background, um, because it was it was felt that if you had a you know maths is not rocket, certainly not rocket science. As long as you've got a basic aptitude with numbers, it's more about you know did you have an inquiring mind and 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 they valued the EQ as much as the IQ, and then the industry swung very focused on on the IQ and on the analytics and um but now I think it's swinging back to to thinking about people from from a more diverse intellectual background because actually if you follow you know the progression through financial service you start off very analytical then very swiftly you move into um trying to interpret the numbers and how do you what what are they actually telling you what's the advice that comes out of them and then really for, 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 for then on in, it's, it's certainly with clients, it's about how do you build relationships with people so that they, um, they, they, they buy into, to, or, you know, they, they will follow your advice. And that's the only, people only follow advice of people they, they know and trust. And so the, the EQ side becomes as, as, as important as the, as the IQ side. Right? And, and so you then progress from, start off as an analyst and you're running the numbers, then as you move through an associate and VP, you're sort of interpreting them, starting to present them to a client, director and managing director, you're, you're taking that data and, and using it to, to provide advice to your client. And then, you know, that, and that's the core of everything I've done for the, the last 30 years. And on top of that, I've had various management roles in which I'm building, you know, tasked with building a business or, 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 or running a particular area. I've got colleagues who've been in the industry the same length of time as me who've, who've never had a management role, no interest in it, just focused on the client side and on the deal piece and still find that fascinating um, and, and, you know, and, and rewarding. So this is an industry where fundamentally it values 
what people can bring with clients, the business they bring. Um, so the management piece is a sort of sideline, and I spend a significant proportion of my time working with clients today is as much as I've done all the way through. So I think that to, to the nub of your question is, is that actually this is not an industry that is all about hard financial analytics. It's, it's a, it's a, it is a bar that everyone needs to jump over, that you understand and have a facility with, comfortable with numbers. Um, you've got to be, you, you, you need to be numerically literate, but, but then it's about, um, it's about common sense. It's about um, ability to, to, to read a room. It's about ability to read people. It's ability to communicate. And that becomes more important um, than, than the, the hard analytics, which just become a sort of you know, basic, like speaking a language. Awesome. Great. And th this is something I hear, well, all of us hear from so many people is that fundamentally it's a, a client-focused business. And so I'm wondering, you know, for someone who's been throughout, who's sort of lived the industry, how do you actually go about maybe developing those relationships over time? Like maybe from the initial get-go from when you first meet a client and then how do you maintain that relationship post-transaction or post-deal, et cetera, throughout, you know, to make it a really long-lasting relationship with the client? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it's a perennial challenge. So it, it's quite interesting. So I met, we met a CEO um, for, who I didn't know before for the first time last week who was talking about his relationships and where he were. And we'd been very valuable. You know, we'd known his company for a very long time. I hadn't met him before. Um, and, and, and he, I think he put it very well, which is that he said that, you know, people will dress it up in different ways, but, but fundamentally I, the CEO, like, you know, what, what work best with people I know and like, because if I feel like I like them and I get on with them, that makes it easier for me to, you know, I, 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 I'll spend more time with them and then I get to know, and I get to trust them and that works. Um, and then secondly, he said, you know, it's always different, difficult balancing. Uh, how do you, how, how, how can you be sufficiently persistent without being irritating? So it, it is, it is about, it, you know, a, a lot of building relationships with clients as it is anywhere else is persistent, is being persistent and consistent. So you're there with ideas regularly, over time because if you don't fundamentally if you haven't met somebody and they don't know you it's very hard for them to so so that piece is 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 you know and you meet people at different states so you may come across someone that you work on a deal with as a junior who who is in the client m a team or, or or the finance team and and then you know you 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 stay you like them you stay in touch with them and and the next thing you know they're a ceo they're a cf you know the cfo so as you as as you grow so do your clients so the people you've met throughout your career um at, at all levels you know will tend to stay in industry and 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 obviously clients are like banks they're a pyramid so it's not everybody who starts and end up as a ceo but but statistically you will end up knowing people who've grown through organizations maybe move to different ones but you stay in touch and they tip up as a head of m a and then cfo and then you know they're a ceo and then they're a chairman so it, 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 it's it's it, it, it's not there's it's the same question people ask in different ways you know as they're thinking about uh, building relationships inside the firm is networking and how do I network and what's the right thing to do and 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 I you know I I, I it's quite hard to answer that I I was the person certainly when I was younger who 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 found it extremely hard I'm not someone who can go and talk to people at parties I was rubbish at that and um, it. 
it, it so so the idea of sort of some artificial way in which you're 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 going around and, and sort of met, you know, either physically or or, or 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 you know virtually shaking people's hands saying hi um it's not it's not it's not it's not natural for me but equally um i i think that you know, you, you, it's it's you, you've so so networking for me is about a natural. It's much easier if it's natural. So you find ways to connect on different topics, and you you build on that, and you, it's, yeah. it's 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 organic and natural. And that and that's really, I think, what what networking really means because an, an artificial sort of overlay of of contacts doesn't really help you. What helps you is by being seen to be because it's your because you're relevant or because you're interesting or because you've got something to contribute, and then you know people listen to you and. It grows that way, both internally and with clients. It's the same deal. Right. It's really interesting. And you've really like cemented your position throughout COVID-19. But I'm wondering, what do you see going forward now into the future? Say, I don't know, the next 12 to 18 months. How are you seeing sort of financing, but also m and I guess, going in the future? And what are those drivers? Yeah, so so there remains a, a, a lot to do because I have a quite a simplistic view is that, that most of us operate in, in reasonable developed economies and and fundamentally they're low growth right so the basics of the environment we we live in is a relatively low growth environment and against that backdrop you've got a lot of very large and successful companies that are trying to drive incremental growth so against so 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 you've got a, a, a re, uh, for me a you know a backdrop that 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 requires standing still is not an option for any for any for anybody so they continue so do you so I think looking forward, you can't, you've got companies coming out of last year with with a with a boards having asked every difficult question under the sun. There isn't a board of any company who hasn't asked their management every difficult question after last year. You know, not only the okay, so are, have we have we now are we now really comfortable that we've we've got every safety you know bomb proofing that we need to have, but also. Have we got the right strategy? Are we? They're all, all everything's going to be refreshed and new. So I think against that backdrop, there's a lot of people being very focused around their strategy going forward, and that will lead to to M and A. And we've seen that in, in lots of different areas. Um, there's an awful lot of, of 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 what's called dry powder sitting with private equity companies, so they've got capital raised that they need to invest. Um, there's the 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 obviously last year was an extraordinary saw extraordinary volumes in in capital markets issuance but we're still seeing you know it, it was a it was a very busy first quarter from a, from both an equity and debt market and described by one of my colleagues as q5 2020 you know it was like there was no break it just went straight on in there were equity very unusually to see sort of equity raisings on, on on literally day one of the of the year which was typically you just get a little bit of a break before people start and so so no i don't expect to see the the frenetic um capital markets activity we saw last year because that was due to a very specific reason but there's still a lot to do and a lot of activities so as you look forward for for any of you who are thinking about financial services career there's a there's a hell of a lot to come it's 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 never done great that was really interesting and i think I guess I'm sure we still have heaps of more questions. And so I'm happy to open it up to the audience now. David? So you were talking about the parts of the industry which are very new. Yeah. But one aspect which is a little bit more archaic and unique to the UK is corporate broking. Oh, but yes. you, recently, you 
just a year back or so, you hired Lewis Burnett from CS and his team. How are you going about winning these new clients and really making a name for yourself in this field? And perhaps for those who don't know about corporate broking, a little explanation if possible. Yeah, okay, I'm happy to. Um, yeah, corporate broking is a, is, a, is, is, is a very specific to the UK in that it's sort of, it, it's badged and it's it's badged in the UK in a way that it's not elsewhere, but it's but it but it's uh, there's lots of aspects of it that happen in different markets. Just the UK happens to put it in a in a very particular box. So, corporate broking is the provision of strategic equity advice to a company, and in the UK, rather uniquely, com companies specifically identify their corporate brokers publicly, and and that enables the broker to to have. Um, a certain legitimacy in talking to the investor base and being able to then translate that investor base's views to the management. So it works from both sides. It works for the investors, and and it actually one of the reasons why it stayed as a as a as a sort of name. Because when I started, there was a book called Crawford's, and the company listed their lawyers, their financial advisors, and their brokers. So it was in a piece of paper, and it got it only got published, I think, every six months. So you were in Crawford's for six months that you were a listed financial advisor for a company and and the piece that stuck to that stuck with that is the broking and i think because it works for both sides both for the investors and for the company to have that position formalized because then there's a legitimate there's a there's a there's a there's a conduit between the two but what what corporate broking is in essence is a provision of strategic equity advice to to a board of a company and when I started here, you know, with the mandate of trying to bring together all the bits and all, all, all the elements of BNP Paribas and to, and deliver those to, to our clients, one of the one of the great jewels uh, that we, we had in our in, in the group is a is a is a business called Exam BNP Paribas, which is which is our equities business, and um, it had been building over a number of years and had got to the point that it had over half all the number one ranked analysts in Europe. So 17 out of 30 number one ranked analysts in Europe work for BNP Paribas. Um, and that, that and, and the specialty, and a very strong specialty sales and, and high touch sales. So that a lot of trading, as you know, goes through, goes, is electronic, which is very efficient, you know, high, high volume, a lot to be said for it. But what it means is it's quite hard to then get, to, to get a feel for why institutions are doing things and if it's just trading electronically you've got no one to talk to you don't see that um and what a, what a high touch sales or especially sales to is they have they have a personal relationship with the institutional investor and they're talking to them about situations and whether or not you know they should invest and and that's that therefore they have a lot of there's a lot of intellectual capital sitting both in the research side and in the sales force that can be translated appropriately uh, and used to give really good advice to, to a corporate client. So, so this jewel was sitting there, and, and as Lewis likes to say, you know, a Rolls-Royce is a Rolls-Royce, whether or not it's left the garage. And this was a Rolls-Royce for business, but had never really been driven on behalf of the corporate client, the, the client that was issuing the equity. And so what we thought is a corporate broking team that worked to provide that strategic equity advice to our existing client, you know, the 150 clients we already have, and 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 use bring together all the knowledge we have in in, in the institution so maybe um not you know so part of it is so you get, there's a re you know thinking so you the 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 equity analyst great information we're number one analyst in retail um very strong understanding of the institution of what shareholders want 
then we've also got a we've got a great personal finance business. So it's for certain retailers, we if you buy something on credit from their retailer, we provide the we provide the financing. And so if you do that across a big piece of a retailer, you've got a real understanding of the of the of their customer behavior. So you put that together with the with with a real understanding of what shareholders want, plus a good understanding of the industry and the sector, and then you can bring all that together and just into a into a piece of advice delivered by the brokers to the to the CEO. It's really interesting. So that was the that was the that was the thesis. And yes, we set up with 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 Spanish and Andrew Forrester um, from CS and Nomura respectively to come together and start a new corporate break business. And it's and it's really worked. We have we have this fantastic um, and last year was a really good example of why it works because when the tide is rising and capital's cheap and you know it's really easy, it's you know the capital's not strategic for a company. It is strategic, but it's not it's not urgently strategic for a company. When that when things have gone really weird and companies are worried about where liquidity is coming from and this, then capital is everything. How your investors are thinking, not just your equity investors, but also your debt investors, the bonds you've issued, the, the your banks are lending to you. And having a very strong distribution across you know, the bank market, the bond market, and the equity market, we were able to have real understanding of how investors were thinking. And that meant that when we put up, when we could combine that with an ability to underwrite a, our own capital base, we could come to companies with saying, look, this is this is your range of options, this is how you need to think about it, this is the mix. So what people are prepared to do is what they're not prepared to do and allow them to, to build actionable plans to solve the issue of last year. And it becomes really valuable at a board level when times are hard. So last year, the market sort of moved sharply in our direction. And you're right, it was a great opportunity for us to, 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 to sort of increase the perception of, of both with clients and in the market more broadly of the institution. And so our obligation now is to take... Nobody owes us anything from that, but as I said earlier, it's it's bought um, it's bought a degree of proximity, and we need to now use that proximity to come with other ideas and be relevant as they then move back into expansion mode, for example. Good question. Thank you very much for that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your questions from the audience, and obviously a massive thank you to you, Matthew, for the, for coming today. Coming today, so. No, no, I'm I'm very impressed on a Thursday Thursday evening that, that yeah. there was more than two of you. So I think no, thank you very much indeed for listening, guys. I was very no. extremely proud to, to to be able to ramble a bit, and thank you for listening. No, honestly, thank you. It was a really great discussion.